have you ever uh, read a book that you just simply couldn't put down? I mean, you were just so captivated and, and enthralled about what was happening. It was like page after page after page, and, and you just kept reading and reading and reading. Or if you're not much of a reader, think about a time that you've watched a movie, and you were on the edge of your seat, and, and you just, uh, you know, you, you stood still, uh, you were so caught up in, in the story of the movie, two hours felt like two minutes. That's how it felt when I read the book In the Wild by John Krakauer. And in this book, he tells the true story of a man named Chris McCandless. And Chris grew up in a, uh, a, a very nice, average, normal family in Virginia. But as Chris grew up, he became very disillusioned to societal norms and materialism. And so after Chris graduated from college, he, he emptied his savings account and donated it to a charity. And he decided that he was going to go uh, do some searching. And so he got into his car, he packed a few belongings and left. Didn't tell his family or friends, and this is in the early 90s, so he was basically off the grid. He went in this pursuit of isolation, this pursuit of, of getting away from, from technology and the excesses of a consumeristic culture, and he went to Arizona, and he went out west to California, and at one point he kind of floats down this river into Mexico, Eventually, he makes his way to North Dakota, and while he's in North Dakota, he gets a job. Uh, he saves up some money so that he can then hitch, uh, hitchhike his way to his final ultimate destination, which is Alaska. And so he gets to Alaska. He travels through. He finds this kind of place that he wants to, to, to make his own. And <clears throat> while he's out there, he has no connection with the outside world. His friends and family have no idea where he is. He even adopts uh, an alias. He begins going by the name Alexander Supertramp. And uh, he just has this, this idea of being completely off the grid. And after a, a couple of months there, he decides that he's ready to go back into civilization. And so he goes to cross the Tec Teclanica River. But this time when he gets there, he realizes that it is swollen and impassable because of the melting snow. And so now he cannot cross, he cannot get to where he wants to go, so he retreats back to an old abandoned school bus where he lives and he forages for food. Now, people believe that it was most likely a poisonous seed that he had eaten, but his health begins to deteriorate very rapidly. <clears throat> it gets to the point where he can't, um, he can't go out far, uh, he's weak all the time. And when he realizes that his time was short, he leaves a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching note on the side of the bus as he searches for berries and seeds to eat. In total, he survived 113 days in the Alaskan wilderness. Two weeks after his death, a couple of hikers come up to his uh, school bus. They approach, and when they open up the doors, they are overwhelmed by a foul smell. They see a little bump in a sleeping bag in the corner of the bus, and when they pull back the sleeping bag, they see Chris's body weighing only 67 pounds. Chris had this idea of this rugged individualism, of getting away from it all, getting away from other people, and being by himself. And it reminds us of the perils of isolation. 
And while the desire for freedom and and self-discovery is commendable, it shouldn't come at the expense of the bonds of family and community. Chris's story serves as a reminder of the significance of human connection. In his pursuit of isolation, he discovered that the real essence of life is not in solitude, but in the relationships that sustain us and nurture us. In the end, Chris's solitary journey cost him his life. A reminder that in the end, we are social beings, and our well-being is intrinsically tied to our connection with others. Today, I want to talk to you about something that is countercultural. Something that for many of you is the exact opposite of, been, of what you've been taught for most of your life. But God promises that if you do this, if you do things His way, you won't struggle with loneliness. You'll be able to overcome things like fear and failure and fatigue. If you do what He says, you'll be able to handle despair and depression and be filled with hope. It's the concept of community. Americans idolize independence. In fact, one of our founding documents is the Declaration of Independence. We like the self-made man. We like lone rangers. We like the idea of being totally independent. We have, been, we have bought into the myth that the key to happiness is independence. If I have relational independence, if I have financial independence, if, if I have complete self-sufficiency, then I will be happy. And yet every year it seems that suicide rates continue to increase. Statistics on loneliness are always on the rise. So that's obviously not true. God says the key to happiness is not independence, it is interdependence. We need each other. We belong to each other. We need community in our lives. God has you to go through life not as a solitary individual, but in community. Together is better. A couple years ago, I was at the grocery store in search of some ice cream, and in Texas, Bluebell is the king of ice cream. In any grocery store, there are dozens and dozens of different Bluebell flavors, and this one day, this, this particular ice cream caught my eye. Um, the good folks Bluebell have stumbled on something that is changing the ice cream industry because cookies and cream ice cream is good. Cookie dough ice cream is good. And somebody there had the genius idea, what if we put them together? We'll call it cookie two-step. And it is incredible. It is so, so good. Why didn't I think of this first? Together is better. Bert and Ernie, salt and pepper, cookies and milk, surf and turf, it's better together. Today, we continue our series, This Is Us, where we're looking at our core values as a church. Last week, we talked about our first core value, we stand on biblical truth. Today, we're going to unpack our second core value, we connect relationally. We find this idea in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. We're going to read this passage together. If you would, please stand as we read Scripture together. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, 
and each member belongs to all the others. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and say, you need me. Now turn to the person on your other side and say, I need you. Okay. I need you and you need me. The truth is, we need each other. God says that community is not optional. Now, you may feel like you're pretty self-sufficient. You may not think that you need other people in your life, but the truth is, you absolutely need other people in your life if you're going to be everything that God wants you to be. What I want you to know is you cannot fulfill God's purposes for your life by yourself. You can't. That there's no way that you can be all that God wants you to be, do all that God wants you to do, fulfill the purposes that you were put on earth to fulfill by yourself. You have to do it in relationship to other people. We need each other. And as we read in Romans 12, we belong to each other in the body of Christ. I need others to walk with me. And you do too. I need others to walk with me. What's that mean? I need other people in my life to help me grow spiritually. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and build up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Did you know that the Bible often compares life to a walk? Why? Because you're on a journey. You don't just sit still in life. You're not where you used to be. You're not where you're going to be. You're on a journey. And Paul calls the spiritual life a walk. Throughout the New Testament, we're called to walk in wisdom, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in obedience, to walk with the Spirit, to walk as Jesus walked. In many other ways, the Bible tells us to live life. And one of the key ways that God tells us to walk is this. You were never intended to walk through life alone. Now, this has nothing to do with whether you're single or married. We have many single adults in our church who are involved in very deep, meaningful community. And we also have married couples in our church who are desperately lonely. Marriage does not solve the issue. Community does. And I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, what's wrong with walking alone? I happen to like walking alone. In fact, I prefer. I can go at my own pace. I don't have to wait on anybody. I like walking alone. You may like it, but you need others to walk with you. I want to give you three reasons why we connect relationally is a core value at Bachelor Creek. First, it's safer. When you walk with other people in your life, it's safer. It's less risky. I don't know if you've ever had to walk down a dark alley in an inner city late at night, but it can be pretty scary. Or if you've ever had to to walk alone down a, a country road at night, it can be a little scary. It's safer to walk through life with others. 
Second, it's supportive. What I mean is that it keeps you from giving up. If you're walking with other people, you get the energy that you didn't have by yourself. I don't know if you've ever been in a race before and you're running and you get this cramp in your leg or you get a pain in your side and you want to give up. You just feel like you can't go on. But if you have other people walking with you, you keep on going. There's an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. You see, life is not a 40-yard dash. It's a marathon. And you want to make it to the end of life. And the only way you're going to make it to the end of life, the way that God wants you to make it to the end of life, is by having other people involved in your life. Over the last several weeks, I've seen a lot of these uh, Canadian geese flying south to the And when you look up and you see them, they always fly in a similar V formation pattern, right? Do you know why they do that? It's because it creates an uplift in the backdraft, and it makes it easier to fly farther together. And the same thing is true in life. You're going to burn out in life if you don't go through it with any meaningful, intimate relationships. We connect, we connect relationally because it's safer, it's supportive. Third, it's smarter. It's just smarter to go through life with a few really close, deep friends. You learn more by walking with others than you do by yourself. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. In other words, if I'm the only one who thinks this and nobody else agrees with me, guess what? I'm wrong. You may be walking in the wrong direction, but, but somebody in your life saying, hey, hold on, uh, we need to turn around. Hey, hey we, need to, we need to get back on, on the right path. You're in trouble. The Bible says in, a, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And one of the things that's important that you learn when you walk with others is you learn how to get along with other people. If you go through life isolated and you never let anybody get close to you, you never cooperate with anybody, then you never learn how to cooperate. And that's one of the lessons of life. Have you ever noticed that when you walk with other people, everybody walks at like a different pace? Everybody has a different style? And so we have to learn to compromise. The Bible tells us in Genesis 2, verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. That's the first thing that God said after he created Adam. He looked down at this perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, and he said it's not good for man to be alone. God hates loneliness. He hates it. So what's his antidote? He created two groups, a physical family and a spiritual family. The physical family is the one that you grew up in. The spiritual family is the one you have for the rest of your life. In fact, it goes on into eternity. Your physical family eventually moves on, grows up, moves apart, eventually dies, and doesn't go on, but the spiritual family, God's church, is going to go on forever and ever. And God says, I want you connected in my family, the church. And notice what his safety net is. 
Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. He says, you're created for community, and I want to encourage you, I want you to encourage each other by meeting together. And in that verse, he's not only talking about what we're doing here right now. Right? This isn't the true essence of community. In a room this size, this is more like a crowd. It's a large crowd, and it's hard to encourage each other personally in a crowd. This really can only be done in a small group. Can you be in a crowd and be lonely? Sure. A couple weeks ago, I was flying by myself, and I was in an airport full of people, and even though I was surrounded by people everywhere, I felt alone because I didn't know anyone. It has nothing to do with size. It's talking about getting together with people who encourage you. Community is God's answer to loneliness. And all of us need a place where we can practice love. It's what the world needs. We need to learn how to love. The Bible says that I need to have other people in my life as I'm walking through life. I need other people to grow. I can't grow without others. Scripture is very clear about this. I cannot grow without other people in my life. Why? Because life is about relationships, not achievement. God wants me to learn how to love him and love others because he is love. To love God and to love others are the two greatest lessons in life. And this really happens best in a small group. And that's why to be a healthy believer, a growing disciple, you need large group worship and small group fellowship. Large group worship and small group fellowship. We see this very clearly in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read that passage in a moment. But it says that they met together daily in the temple courts and in each other's homes. Temple courts, each other's homes. Large group worship, small group fellowship. And that's why here at Bachelor Creek, we encourage everybody to attend a Sunday morning worship service and be connected in a small group. And if you're only doing half that, then you're only getting half the benefit of church. We need to walk through life with a small group of believers. Why? Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is what God wants in your life. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be full of love. And there's only one way you can do that. You have got to get with other Christians who can walk through life with you. You see, you can't learn community without being in a community. Not a crowd, but by being in a community. Did you know that the phrase, one another, is used some 59 times in the New Testament? We looked at this last month in our Gospel Fluency series. For example, the Bible commands us to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to pray for one another. But here's the thing. You can't do that by yourself. You must do it in community. And that is why you need a church home, and that is why you need a small group. 
if you're not in a small group of believers and you're not connected to a church family, there are 59 commands in the New Testament that you cannot obey. The early church in the book of Acts, they understood this so clearly. They're in the midst of opposition, in the midst of being this fledgling startup movement on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, their strength was their commitment to connect relationally. In fact, their commitment is captured in a helpful metaphor. Break the bread. Our, our second core value is we connect relationally. And the image, the metaphor that helps us remember this is break the bread. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I want you to notice that this was the norm for the early church. This was standard operating procedure. Every day they met together. And I know for me that this kind of connection is probably more of a special occasion than it is a regular occurrence. Breaking bread is another way of saying eating together. It's sharing a meal together, sharing life together. Have you ever noticed how sharing a meal with someone helps foster authentic relationships? Food is a universal language that brings people together. Like, you, you may look at somebody and think, I have nothing in common with this person. I don't look like them. I, I don't talk like them. I don't dress like them. I don't even believe like them. But you know what you have in common with, with another person? They eat food, and you eat food. It's like you come up to somebody and you're like, what? You eat food? You too? That's incredible. Let's eat together. Everybody eats. It's something that you immediately have in common with everyone else. And I can tell you that the number one way that I've built relationships and got to know people here at Bachelor Creek is by uh, sharing meals. It's been going out to dinner with a couple. It's been visiting a small group. It's been uh, going out for, for coffee or, or grabbing lunch with someone. You see, breaking bread breaks down barriers. Breaking bread breaks down barriers. It's disarming. Uh, back in 2022, when I went to Guatemala and we hosted this pastor's training, on the first day, uh, the pastors came in the room and they kind of kind of filed in one at a time, and they sat down, and they were very polite, very respectful, courteous, uh, but they didn't really say a whole lot. And by the time the, the last group of them came in, we did some introductions, we did a first session, we did a question and answer time, a second session, and it was just kind of, kind of quiet. But then when the meal was brought in, and they got up and started filling their plates with food and got something to drink and sat down, I noticed that the voices began to, to pick up and, and the room began to fill with, with noise of people talking with one another and there was laughter in the room and, and people began to feel comfortable and open up with each other. And there's just something about sitting around and having a meal together that breaks down barriers. So how can we put this core value into practice? 
I want to leave you quickly with two steps to take. First, regularly share meals with others. Just get into the habit of regularly sharing meals with others. What would it look like for you to, to host or attend regularly shared meals with others in the congregation? Or what would it look like if you reached out to somebody who you've never really interacted much with at church and, and you invited them over for a meal or you went to grab coffee with them? Or as we get into the holiday season, is there someone that you know that doesn't have a place to enjoy a Thanksgiving meal? And if so, invite them over. Get in the habit of, of, of having meals with others. And second, join a group. Join a group. If you're not in a small group, make the commitment to get into a consistent, ongoing environment where you're able to connect on a deeper level and form lasting bonds. This could be a men's small group. It could be a women's small group. It could be a couple's group. It could be a Sunday morning group. There are many opportunities to, to get connected with others. And if you're interested in doing that, stop by the connecting point before you leave and just say, hey, I, I'd love to get into a group of people, and we want to help you with that. The story of Chris McCandless, that, that book, Into the Wild, was so, so mesmerizing. And I'll be honest, there, there were there were parts of, of his journey and his experience that, that I found admirable. He had this pioneering spirit, the desire to, to, to live free, to explore, to get away from the clutches of society. And I'll tell you, as admirable as part of his story may have been, it was his isolation and his rugged individualism that cost him his life. Almost 200 years prior to that, there was another young man who had a pioneering spirit. He was an explorer, and his name was Meriwether Lewis. He was attempting to explore the newly acquired western portion of the country after the Louisiana Purchase. But unlike Chris McCandless, Lewis didn't want to go alone. He wanted a team. He recruited his close friend, William Clark, and a select group of U.S. Army and civilian volunteers called the Corps of Discovery, and together they traveled the uncharted territory up the Missouri River, across the Rocky Mountains, a mountain range they had no idea even existed, and eventually made it all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Along the way, they were famously helped by a uh, young Native American mother named Sacagawea, who helped them communicate with almost 20 uh, Native American tribes. It's the most successful and the most famous American exploration. And at any moment, it would have been doomed if someone would have tried to go at it by themselves. How did this group of 40 men, over the course of 862 days, how did they do it? And their two-and-a-half-year journey there was one fatality, and that happened just 30 days into their trip. It's remarkable when you consider that they had to go against raging rivers. They had to cross impassable mountains. They went up against hostile Native Americans. But, but they were successful, and they survived because every day they were together. They had an unbreakable bond and an unbreakable trust in one another. And that's the kind of connection that I want us to experience. We want every person at Bachelor Creek to connect relationally. That's our second core value. We connect relationally. And how do we remember that value? 
Here's the image. Break the bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to experience your goodness. We experience your life. We experience hope together. You have told us you've created a church because you want us to come together because together is better. And Lord, I pray that as we go through life, when we feel that pull to isolate, when we feel that pull to disengage, God, would your spirit remind us that we need each other, that we connect relationally because, God, we need other people in our lives. We need other people to encourage us. We need other people to, to speak life into us. God, you have created us in community and for community. And God, I pray if, if there's anybody here today who has just been kind of wandering through life, isolated, alone, I pray that they would realize that they can have a spiritual family that lasts forever and ever. They can become a part of, of your family, your kingdom, by giving their life to Jesus Christ, by being born again. If there's anybody who needs to make the decision to follow Jesus and to surrender to the waters of baptism, if there's somebody who's been kind of just attending church on their own and they're ready to be a part of a church family and join this church, God, I pray that they would make that decision. God, I pray that every single one of us would realize that, that we need each other. And at the very core of who we are as a church, we are a church that connects relationally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.